So we can, we can start with the first one. We're talking about my, the title of my, my message tonight is Uniquely You. Somebody say Uniquely You. I said somebody, which really means everybody. Uniquely you. All right. Identity found in obscurity. This is the wrong slide. Um, brief moment for me. All right. We're good. We're going to be all right. Okay. Why are you guys so quiet? This is weird. All right. All right. So, yes, we're talking about identity found in obscurity. And so some of you may be wondering, okay, well, what is obscurity? So I'll just give you the, the basic definition of it. The state of being unknown, inconspicuous, or unimportant. Got any basketball fans in here? Oh, okay, so like four? All right. Okay, Abbotsford, I see y'all. Um, Russell Westbrook had a really tough year with the Lakers. We got Lakers fans in here? All right, if, if everyone could just stretch their hands towards the Laker fans. Um, Russell Westbrook had a really tough year, and so a lot of people were saying about him, he's like, man, he's way too good of a player to slide into obscurity, which means he's way too good to all of a sudden become unimportant and actually a liability to his team. Then another example is Doja Cat. Do we got any Doja Cat fans? Okay, all right. Surprising that there's more Doja Cat fans than basketball fans. But anyways, same thing, Doja Cat, for some that may know, like I'm an artist, so I pay attention to these things. She's in a really bad, like, record deal, and she's been very open about that. And so she's talked about the fact that she might, you know, just call it quits after her next album or something like that. And apparently that's a big deal, and people are sad. So, again, stretch your hands to the Doja Cat fans. Anyways, she, people say about her music and her talent and her ability that she's not that great of an artist, or she's not doing anything, like, miraculous. So as soon as her music career's done, she'll slide into obscurity. You can head over to the next slide. So just a little bit about myself. Again, I am a recording artist. I go by the name of Scribe Music. Um, feel free to check the music out. If you don't like it, don't tell nobody. If you do like it, share it with somebody. Um, I work for Apologetics Canada. I am the uh, creative director. I am the podcast host and engineer. So I'm the guy that's always like, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and you're talking to so-and-so. And then I'm the guy that makes us all sound fancy and then puts it online for you. So I, my job really within Apologetics Candidate is multifaceted in a lot of ways. We're also working on a video series called Branded. Um, I get to work with this like, this, this bald guy. I don't know if you know him, but his, he goes by the name of Andy. We're gonna call him Andy, uh, Andy Steiger. Uh, and I have a, such a pleasure of working with him. He's, he, it's great when you get to like work with someone who's kind of like your hero. Because like this, I don't know how many of you have gotten to sit, sit with him and hear his stories. Like this guy's stories are ridiculous. Like he's constantly talking about like, oh, this one time I was in such and such country on this remote little village and there was a tiger in a bush. And I'm like, yeah, one time I like was raised in Saskatchewan. Like, <laughs> like come on. You know what I mean? So I was, born in, I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. I was adopted at a very, very young age. We'll get into that a little bit more. Yes. I was raised in Saskatchewan, but I made it out! <laughs> made it out! Somebody say glory! No, I'm just playing. I'm relaxed, relax, 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 relax. Um, I love being from the prairies. I'm constantly talking about prairie boy joy, and all that has to do with is just being proud of where I'm from, okay? So, raised in Jamaica, one of the warmest places, raised in one of the coldest places, because God likes to be funny, okay? <laughs> Um, just a little bit about my, my family. 
I am married to my wife, Jasmine. We'll be celebrating eight years this fall, this September. I never forget. This is just a tip for anyone engaged or married. And you, you know, you're struggling, remembering your anniversary. I got mine tatted on my skin, so never forget, okay? Anyways, um, but I also have two kids, little rugrats, little big heads is what I call them, because they just, I mean, you see it. They're beautiful, but the heads are just so large. Anyways, <laughs> they look even bigger on the screen. That's crazy. Um, so my daughter, she's four years old. Her name is Araya. Um, my son, his name is Zakai, and he is a year and a half. Yeah, their names are very millennial. You know, we're trying to be just whatever, super fancy. Anyways, both of their names mean purity. That was something that was really important to us. Um, fun fact about my daughter, she thinks she's 14 and got all kinds of attitude. Like, she has been talking like having full sentences since she was like one, and it, it's always been a struggle for me because she's four years old and will call me out on my stuff. So. I'll be working and maybe I'll take like an extended lunch break, like maybe a little bit longer than I'm supposed to. And my daughter will come up to me and be like, Daddy, shouldn't you be working? And I'm like, shouldn't you be grounded? <laughs> so anyways, we have, we have fun. I do everything I can to take my kids on the road, whether it's speaking or music or whatever, um, just because I think it's really important for them to have that opportunity to see um, what mom and dad are, are doing and uh, so we, we, yeah, we, we have tons of fun. That's a little bit about myself. But let's get into what we're going to talk to tonight. Um, tonight, as I said, we're talking about identity. We're going to look at three major components of identity. We're going to look at personal, we're going to look at community, and we're going to look at spiritual identity. And we'll dive into a little bit more about what that really looks like. But based on those things, I think you can kind of get the gist of it a little bit. Um, I just also have something really, really important I want us to, to all understand real quick, like just so that we can be really anchored. You can just go to the next slide. This is super important. Okay. The, yeah, I just, I just feel like I don't know the audience I'm in front of, but you guys just got to know this. Like this, this is not what God wants for you. It's not what he wants for you, okay? There's no way that this was an Eden. This was no way that this was okay. I'm pretty sure the fruit they ate was a pizza that had pineapple on it. I just, I mean, it's an apologetics argument. It's pretty deep in there. But anyways, we just, we'll, we'll just get through it. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I'm grateful that we can carry on. Um, but we're going to get into why, why identity matters. Some of you may be wondering, like, okay, I've heard about identity, and, but why do we really have to, like, dive into it? Isn't identity just very simple? Isn't it something very, very basic? Well, let me, uh, as, we, as we dive in first, we're going to look at personal identity, but I would love to just tell you a story to try and set this up for you. So, I'm going to tell you, and this is the part where I say, relax, if you think it's funny, you should laugh. If it's not, you should still laugh because it's funny, okay? So, I'm going to tell you the story real quick about the day I found out I was a black guy. <laughs> I love the energy, thank you. Um, this was a really weird day, okay? Let me just say that. Some people are like, How? what do you mean? How did you not always know? Let's go back, okay? So, like many of you in here, I was born once. And I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. My story, though tragic, gets really, really fun, okay? So I was, I was adopted from Kingston, Jamaica. I was abandoned on a bench as a newborn, newborn baby. I was found in a park somewhere in the Kingston area. 
Yes, this, is, this portion is somewhat sad. I was brought to an orphanage, and for the first year and a half of my life, I was raised there. They guessed my birthday. They gave me, they gave me my name, which is Troy, and they gave me all my documents that they basically just kind of looked at the scale. They looked at how long I was um, and kind of just decided, okay, we think he's about this old. So no, I'm not like actually five years older or like six years younger. That'd be super strange. Um, they're pretty... I hope, anyway, that, <laughs> that they were accurate, because one day I'm going to just like get a really bad back, and I'm going to be so confused. But so this, this was kind of the start of my life. But as a kid, you just see parents. You don't see color. You don't see these details or whatever. So there's one time my, da- my dad brought me to this, this mall. Now, respectfully, like I said, I grew up, I grew up in a place called Regina, Saskatchewan. It is just a really ghetto town. Like, it's a, it's a city, but it's, it's just like, a, yeah, you nod in way too aggressively, but I feel you. <laughs> um, just a real, it's, just, uh, it's just a little ghetto city, okay? Um, they like to brag about being murder capital, like that kind of vibe, all right? So I grew up in the East End, and I went to, I was with my dad. I was probably about three or four, um, old enough to remember, but not old enough to know better. Um, and we were going to this place called Dick Square Mall. Now, when I talk about just a dingy little mall, it was pretty much the place you went to to find smokes, cigarettes, heroin, or your mother's prescription, which might have been one of the other ones. I don't know, <laughs> right? So we go to this place, and I don't know why we were there. Probably my dad was looking for tube socks or something crazy. Um, and we're walking, but I was, again, I was at the, I was at the big head age, right, where you just got a big old head, and anyone who has got kids or got younger siblings, you know that at that age, they just kind of lean wherever their head takes them, <laughs> right? Yeah, you, just, you get it. So this was me, and again, a lot of kids don't have the self-awareness to know when they're lost. They only know when you're with them and when you're not, but that the lost part is generally not a good idea. So I got lost because, big head, leaning, and I wandered down some weird hallway, and I mean, it's, there's not much going on, but there was a dollar store. And I remember kind of coming up to the dollar store and looking at the fancy things and the shiny stuff that is going to break in like three hours anyway. And I was just looking at it all. And then I, the, all of a sudden, the security guard comes up to me. And he's like, hey, dude, what's up, man? How you, where, where's your parents? Had this like real Paul Blart energy, like dude was going to save the day. <laughs> just full Vespa, just, and I was... I'm like four. I'm like, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. He's like, are you lost? I I don't know. (laughs) I'm just a little adopted kid. Now, remember, this is the early 90s. So there was about as many folks that looked like me in there as there are in here. Okay? There weren't very many. This is important information. This is very important information. And so I remember he grabbed me, and he was walking down the hallway, and he's just like, we're going to find your dad. Like, I'm just like, all right, hero, cool. And, you know, he, he asked me, he's like, what does your dad look like? I'm like, I'm a kid. Like, so I describe what I know. I'm like, uh, jean jacket, ponytail. Remember, not a lot of folks that look like me, but his mind is looking for someone who looks like me. He's like, okay, jean jacket, ponytail. What kind of brother has a ponytail? <laughs> we're walking, we're walking, and he ends up bringing me to this gentleman. His back is turned, and you, there's just like this delight, like we quickened our pace, and I was just kind of going along for the ride. Um, 
and he taps this guy on the shoulder, and he says, hey, I think I found your son. <laughs> the fear on this brother. <laughs> turned around, and he looked at me. Oh, that ain't my son. You ain't going to get me again. And he just took a... <laughs> again? What do you mean again? And he, the, the security guard is just kind of looking like, how could there be more than one that fits this idea? <laughs> I'm just like, nope. Holding this dude's hand. I don't know why I'm still holding his hand at this point. It's kind of weird. Anyways, we come around the corner, and he's still looking, and I'm just not worried at all. And come around the corner, and my dad... Now, in the 90s, one of the reasons my mom was attracted to my dad, well, he's older than from the 90s, but it's because he kind of had this Steven Seagal vibe going on, and Steven Seagal was pretty popular. For those of you who don't know who Steven Seagal is, look up 90s Steven Seagal. Not now, because that's rude. Um, but he had this slick back ponytail, denim jacket, and he just walked around like he was the man, had an earring, and he's like, hey, son, you know, and, I was, and the security guard just was like, yeah, I'm so fired, I'm so fired. And I just ran over to the guy, the guy, I ran over to my dad. <laughs> yeah, I got dark, just kidding. So I run over to my dad, and he takes me, and we leave, and he's just like, son, were you scared? I was like, no, I wasn't scared. He's like, did you know you were lost? No, wasn't scared. He's like, okay. But I then asked him, I was like, dad, why did you bring me to that other guy? That's not my dad. And he was like, what do you mean? Well, I told him what you look like, He's like, what did you say? He said, jean jacket, ponytail. He's like, oh, oh, we about to have this conversation. My dad doesn't talk like that, but that's what I think he says. <laughs> We're going to have this conversation. And I remember him sitting me down and telling me this story about being abandoned, not knowing the full details, not knowing who my mother was, not even really having records, knowing that the orphanage itself had been torn down and everything. So there's nothing that I could, there's nothing to fill these gaps. And how many of you realize or know that sometimes in life when we don't have the fullness of a picture, we fill in the gaps? Whether we've watched a movie, whether someone's told us something, and oftentimes, here's the worst part about it, we fill the gaps with negative things. How often, like it's pretty rare for someone to fill the gap with something great and awesome that encourages them. You hear something tough, and you all of a sudden fill it with something worse. This is why identity matters. Because growing up, my personal identity had everything to do with how I saw myself. I saw myself as an orphan, even though I was adopted. Even though I had parents, amazing parents that absolutely loved me, cared for me, though they couldn't figure out what to do with my hair, they took me to a guy who could get me a fade. Thank you, Jesus. They did everything they could. But growing up, it was really, really difficult. But this is what the Bible says. Well, first we're gonna, we're gonna approach this. You are your own worst enemy, more often than not. You will fill your head with things that you think are truth, and you'll allow, oftentimes allow your situation to dictate what's true. But that's not the way it works. Stop being your own worst enemy. You already have one. Ephesians 2, Let's hit the verse. Let's get it on there. The Bible tells me so. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So there's this, this truth that there's these things that have been put inside of you by God for the sake of you walking in them. But for whatever reason, because of the way we perceive ourselves, some of us don't want to walk in that. Some of us are afraid of, oh, maybe my personality is a little bit, I'm a little different. Or maybe I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to be on the worship team. I'm not good enough to be on platform. So I guess like I don't really have any good works like everybody else does. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the things that God has put inside you are for the people that are around you, for your communities. It's a challenge sometimes when we, when we, you know, you look at the different things in our lives, the challenges and the things that have happened to really look at ourselves through God's eyes. And this is the importance of community. So we're going to start looking at communal identity. So here's the second story. It's this idea of they like me. They really like me. So anyone here, maybe whether it was in university or you were in high school, would say that you were, you were the people person. Show of hands. You were friends with like... Everybody, you were kind of friends with everybody, at least known by everybody or whatever. Okay. You were friends with multiple people in different groups. Great. So that was me. I was the guy who wasn't on the football team but was friends with the football team. Football players and all the, the football shawties that love them. I was friends with all those people. I was, on the, I was captain of the soccer team. I wasn't part of, like, the, the weird soccer group, but I was part of the soccer team, right? I had friends that were in band I had friends that were in choir. There was all these kinds of, 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 of mixes. And one of the challenges of, of me growing up knowing that I was abandoned, and it, it, it led me to this thing called, this idea of basically an orphan spirit, right? And so it's this thing where I'm constantly looking at myself through the lens of lesser than, so I'm going to do what I can to make sure everybody loves me, make sure everybody cares about me so I'm never rejected ever again. This is exhausting, right? I, I, I remember in high school all the time, I was, there, there was a situation where one group was mad at this group, and they wanted to fight. This is awful, because I'm friends with both people that want to square up. And me, first of all, I got, like, the, the thickest prescription. Like, I got glasses, y'all. Like, some of you have, oh, I have glasses. I'm bougie. I have, I need these things, Okay. So high school fighting, I was like, no, 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 uh-uh, no chance. Because you swipe my glasses, it's over for me. Like, we're done. Doesn't matter. We're done. But there's these two groups that are wanting to fight. And I'm like, guys, no, no, don't fight. Can't we just give love a chance? Something weird like that. They're like, dude, like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, you were hanging out with me one day and telling me how annoying that dude was. And da-da-da-da-da. And then that person's looking at me like, really, bro? Really, bro? I was like, no, it wasn't like that. He's like, yeah, it was. Tell him what you told me. I was like, oh, it happened for real. They always tell about movies, like, tell him what you told me. Now it's really happening. And I've realized that now I'm stuck in the middle of trying to please two people, gossiping with this group, gossiping with that group, and now I'm sitting in the middle, isolated, because I was trying to please two parties that, in truth, neither one did I really feel like I fit in. But it gave me some sense of identity. And I hope I'm challenging someone in here tonight. Because this, this people-pleasing thing counteracts what God has put inside of you. Because you've been called to stand out. You've been called to be separate. Even though you're in a community, 
there is an aspect of what God has put inside of you that is for the community and not just for you to pull from it. It's a, it, it, it can be really, really dangerous to do these sorts of things because you start compromising. You start saying, you start, you start finding yourself like, ah, okay, maybe that's okay, maybe I'm cool with it. There's this phrase that a lot of people will kind of use, like, get in where you fit in, right? Has anyone heard that phrase, get in where you fit in, just find your spot where you, where you find you belong, that sort of thing? But I learned from Tetris that when you try to fit in, you disappear. You actually lose your authority. You actually lose your ability to be impactful because you're so focused on looking right, doing the right thing to all those people around you. But here's the flip side of communal identity. There's a beautiful thing that can happen in the, in the right community, in a healthy community, where you have people that, that see the things that are on your life, and they can encourage you. They can challenge you, and they can hold you accountable. But sometimes we run from that portion of community because we're looking for yes man and yes women in our lives, people that are just going to agree with everything you do. Like my, my wife, when I was getting changed today, like she's like my double down. I make sure. I'm no fool, all right? I'm no fool. I'm like, I'm talking to young folks. You show up with a jacked up fit, and those kids are distracted. Some of you distracted today, because I know the plaid was a risk. I know. <laughs> I know. But with my wife, we always talk about these different things that when we go out, and this is the importance of community, because you have someone to bounce ideas off of. You have someone who can vet things. And my wife is the most honest person in the world, I'm convinced. I'll be listening to a song in the studio that I've created, and I'm sitting there like, ooh, just stank face, like, ooh, ooh. And my wife will walk in, and she's like, like she's almost gassy or something. I'm like, I'm like, what's wrong with you? She's like, is it finished? I'm like, I, I mean, I guess not. <laughs> like, you know, back to the drawing board. But I also have some friends that I'll bounce musical ideas off of. Some people I'll send a demo to. I sent the demo to some people today. And this is, it's, it's just a practice I've gotten into because sometimes we can think of ourselves as just completely perfect, impossible to make a mistake, or like we always get it right. And let's be honest, man, some of us, let's just, let's just call it out. Some of your friends in here want to tell you something today, but they're like, girl, you are tripping. He trash. He trash. I just, I want to tell you he's trash. He's not good for you. But they're holding back because they're afraid to hurt you. Can I just release somebody from here today? If he trash, he's trash. Let her know. Just let them know. This is why you have community, because if you can't hear the truth from those that are closest to you, then you're constantly going to be looking to the world for false identity of community. You're going to find yourself pimping yourself on social media for the sake of likes and retweets. You're going to be looking for opinions from a bunch of people that don't know nothing about you or, or your struggle or your challenges, all for the sake of a quick affirmation that fades away like a drug, because the moment you get that first hit, you got to get more. And you start getting riskier and riskier because eventually people get used to what you're throwing out there. Oh, yeah, I'm coming down your block today. All right? But this is what the Bible talks about. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. Some of y'all have been called to be a foot, but you want to put it where the ear goes. That's a really, really strange thing to do. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are Hobbit fans, but... Is this what you want in your head? That's what you want? Is this, this is the glory of the Lord? I think not. 
But some of us, the way we operate, the way we act, the way we think we need to be, we get so focused on trying to get in somewhere that we don't fit. We're not supposed to be. And this is what it looks like to heaven. They're like, that's nasty. I didn't ask you to do that. Yes, I picked the nastiest feet I could find, of course. I'm trying to get this point across here. But here's the, re- here's, the, here's the truth of it. You are so individually designed for communal purposes. God's design was built around community right back to the garden. He wanted community with you. He wanted relationship with you. And even after Adam was made, he said, it is not good for man to be alone, which means that there is this, there was already, as much as we were in community with God, he recognized you need something a little, a little bit more tangible. As much as God, and, and God walking around with us and dwelling with us, it's this part of me that's like, God wants to see you in community. That's what he desires. The word talks about do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And so I'm excited when I see groups of young people or anybody come together. This is why the pandemic was really, really hard amongst a million other reasons. But one of the big things for me was I couldn't gather with my people. I couldn't talk with with people the same way that we normally could. I couldn't go to some bougie coffee shop and order a quad shot to be fancy. Right? I couldn't go down to 49th Parallel and eat way too many donuts with my friends with zero guilt, by the way. It's so important for us to recognize God's design for community comes back to his relationship with us. And this leads us to, to, to my last point when we're looking at spiritual identity. How many of you can, can honestly admit that we live in a world that, is, that, that says they're spiritual but you're actually kind of confused what the foundation is. I would say, definitely for me, there's a lot of people I've ran into, and they're like, I don't believe in God, but I'm spiritual. And maybe there's someone in here tonight that, that that's you. You're like, I don't believe in God, but I'd say I'm spiritual. Well, here's the, here's the truth of it. You're, you're almost there. <laughs> you're right. To a certain degree, we, we absolutely are spiritual beings. There's more than just this flesh. But the word says the battle we face is not of flesh and blood, right? So that so, again, you're, you're almost there, but where you're missing it is where that spiritual identity is rooted. And this can be super, uh, this can be really confusing for a lot of people, this portion, because it's like, well, okay, spiritual, but doesn't, what does my spirit have to do with everything? Well, the Bible also talks about how the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there's this war constantly going on with this inner this, I like to call it my, my inner man, where, for example, there's something I know I'm not supposed to do, but I go and do it anyway, right? I believe that the Apostle Paul was a rapper because he has this portion of Scripture where he's like, the things I want to do, I do it, and did it, and did it, and did it, and he just constantly kind of goes in this little loop. But it's this reality of the things I don't want to do, I still do. And when I do the things I don't want to do, I know I'm not supposed to do it, but I did it, and I got it done, and I did it well. <laughs> Paraphrasing. <laughs> right? And so I want to take you into this, this last little story about where my spiritual identity really came to a head, especially as a young person. So in high school, again, I always reflect back to high school because it was such a pivotal time for me, and I believe it is for a lot of people. High school to university, my whole life got flipped, turned upside down. No, I'm not going to do it. But 
I, there, there was this group in our school called ISCF. Do you guys have that out here? I don't know if you do. It's like called Inner School Christian Fellowship, like a, basically a Christian organization in your high schools. Did you not have that out here? Oh, dude, the praise is lit then. It was so cool. It was so much fun. But anyways, there was this girl, and I think every church community has, has this girl. Her name was Janessa, okay? Someone, whoa, y'all are... I want to meet the Janessa y'all laughing about. Anyways, her name was Janessa. And boy, did Janessa love Jesus so much. Janessa would walk around with her Bible everywhere. And she would find all the Christian kids and, and, just, and just talk to them about Jesus all day long and tell them how we're going to change the school for Jesus. But me in high school, I was trying to be like, cool, Christian, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, man, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? I go to the parties or whatever, and they'd be like, hey, yo, Pastor Troy, what's happening? I'm like, hey, what it do, man? God bless you. I grew up in Saskatchewan. There was no need for me to do this. None. <laughs> None. But it was effective, okay? And so I was trying, I'm, I'm meanwhile in high school trying to be the cool Christian, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, my dad's a pastor. I'm a little PK, okay, you know what I mean? And... Janessa would always run down my hallway when I was with my fellas. And we're chilling, we're hanging out, we're talking about whatever, I don't know, homegirl from the cheerleading squad or something ridiculous. And Janessa would always come up and be like, Troy, are you coming to ISCF for lunch today? And I was like, oh, no, Janessa, I'm not. <laughs> like, she's like, why? Oh, okay. But see, this is the thing about Janessa, unfazed by all the sass and attitude. Janessa was like, Stone cold. Like, I thought I was a killer. She was just washed right over. Maybe lack of self-awareness. I don't know. But she was like, oh, okay. Well, you said that you were going to pray. You're going to do the opening prayer today. And I was, I'm standing with my fellas, and they're just like, what's she talking about, dude? I was like, no, I don't know. Opening prayer. I'm just a little, nah. Janessa, ah. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be doing that today. She'd ask me all the time, and I'd popped in every now and again. But I was that Christian that was like, because I was cool with the, the non-Christians, that I felt like, you don't really, you, you, ain't, you ain't in the field, girl. You don't really get it. Like, I'm really with them. And so she's asking me to do this thing, and I'm like, nah, Janessa, I don't know if I'm going to do all that. I'm hanging with these guys, and, you know, we got to, like, pray, pray for them, you know. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you, bro? I'm like, shut, shut, stop, Chad. That's enough. And she would just keep, she would keep poking at me this, this lunch hour. She's like, oh, okay, well, are you going to be there next week when you, when you do the message? It's like, Janessa, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not, not going. It's not happening. Oh, I really wish you were just a man of your word. I was like, who in the, mm, who are you talking to? I was like, no way did you just... And my, my friends are like, dang, bro, that's, that's messed up, bro. <laughs> Scum of the earth. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But it was this moment where I was just like, this that war between two worlds. My spirit is like, hey, this could be good for you. My flesh is like, ah, no. And she just stood there and wouldn't leave. She was like, I'm getting my answer today. 
But her, the answer she wanted, I was not going to give her. And I was so, and I, and I got so frustrated in that moment. I was like, you know what? No, Janessa, girl, I'm not coming. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not going to do the little prayer. I'm not going to do the message next week. Because all you guys do is you sit in that room as Christians and you just pray. And you do all your the little worship song. Like, strength arises, we wait upon our Lord. I don't want to do all that. That's not what people need. That's not what people want. All those sorts of things. Like, how are, we, how are we supposed to actually help people if we're just sitting in our room talking about Jesus to ourselves and no one's ever going out and doing anything? And she looked me dead in the face and she said, she's like, well, it seems that there's a lot of Jesus inside of you, but you're just afraid to let it out because if you can't even stand in front of other Christians and tell us what you believe the people in the school need, then how on earth are you going to tell the world? And then she slid on out there just... Mm -mm, assignment fulfilled. And I was like, <laughs> it shocked me to my core, you guys. That moment was the catalyst from grade 10 to university when I was 18 years old, and I was drunk out of my mind, and I decided, okay, I guess today I'm gonna, supposed to walk across campus. And I'm in California, it's plus 35, and there's no reason I should be walking to my church today, but for whatever reason, I'm going to walk to church today. And I'm, well, I didn't walk well, but I got there. And I remember getting into the building, and all of a sudden, as the Lord would have it, this was the day that they were going to celebrate the Christians on campus. What a wonderful day to show up hungover. And I walk in there, Think confident, I'm stinking. Like, I don't, I'm telling, when I tell you guys that God just like literally threw me out the door, I haven't, this makes no sense. Didn't even shower. Still wearing the same clothes that I was wearing from the night before, but not as fresh, okay? So I'm in this place. They're like, hey, can we get all the leaders, all the Christian leaders on campus to stand up? Hey, Troy's here. Good to see you, brother. Oh, man. Yeah, you guys, we just want to take a moment. And recognize Troy. Troy is from Canada, from plate. Where are you from? Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan what? Saskatchewan, okay? And Troy, he's, he's on the soccer team, one of the leaders on the team. And Troy, he's just a mighty man of God. He loves the Lord, and he knows that he's got to make a difference for the kingdom, and he can do it right on campus. People are like, amen, oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And then they did the fun part. We just like to crowd around Troy and just lay hands. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Let's lay hands on Brother Troy. They all came over. I'm terrified. Because you know those moments where you just feel the goodness of God and you recognize you are so unworthy of it. This was that moment for me. I was like standing there. And I sobered up real quick in the presence of God. Sobered up real quick. And they started praying and encouraging me. Like, we're talking all ages praying. There's a little girl down there like, Father God. The old lady. just Old ladies got a different prayer on them, y'all. When they start rubbing your back during prayer, it's like, ooh, glory, hallelujah. You know, it's just. And I just feel the presence of God in this moment. And he's like, all he said was, I got you, son. I got you. And I couldn't handle that because my relationship with my dad at this time was pretty back and forth because I was a pastor's kid. I was tired of my identity being my dad's. They wouldn't even call me Troy when I go places. They'd be like, oh, Pastor Bob's son. Pastor Bob's son. And I'm like, 
secretly so enraged at it because I'm like, I got a name. But it was in this moment that I felt the Spirit of God on my heart just grab me and he said, Troy, I know your name. Don't you worry, son, I know your name. See, I saw you, Troy, before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. I also saw you, Troy, when you were on that bench as a baby, having no idea of the circumstances. I saw you, Troy, when you were in that orphanage that was torn down, that was trashy, the food was awful. I saw you, Troy, when your stomach was so big and tight because it was filled with worms and you had malaria. I saw you, Troy. That orphanage didn't give you that name. I gave you that name. You know what Troy means? It means loyal foot soldier. I saw you, Troy, when you, you cried out to me, when you shed all those tears, when you went home from school after trying to impress everyone all day, and you're crying out on your pillow, just mad and frustrated and angry at the world. I saw you, Troy, when you thought that you were nothing but an orphan. But I want you to know right now, Troy, I'm choosing you, and I've chosen you, and I'm going to keep choosing you. Rocked my world. It shattered Everything I thought was true in this moment, because I'd been, when I was in university in the States, I was pursuing my soccer career, I was trying to go pro, I was doing everything I could. That was my life. That was everything. Diet, fitness, all of it, and anything that came with it. But when I got injured, I had nothing. All the people that I partied with, all the people that I thought were my friends, disappeared. I was no longer the guy. And so I found out that all these relationships, this community that I had built, that I had built, was based on entirely superficial ideals. It was entirely based on performance, what I could do for them. And so I said to God, I'm like, in this, I was like, God, what do you want me to do? And that's what he said. He said, Troy, it's not the what, it's the why. This is the core of your spiritual identity. It is not the what, it's the why. The word talks about whether in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you decide to do, now don't take this and use it as an excuse to go wild out because that's ridiculous. You know what I'm talking about. These gifts, these abilities, these, these talents that you have, God is like, give those things to me. Because you believe in my word and you believe that the same saving power that is inside of you, I could give them. The same salvation that you have experienced, the same transformation of your identity, the same renewing of your mind, I could give to them. If that is your why, give me the soccer, give me the music, give me the jokes. Give me the personality. Give me, the, give me the, your love for fashion. Give me your love for the arts world. Give me your love for, for people. And I will show you how to use it for my glory. You can go to the next slide. Not everyone who calls out to me. This is, a, this is a tough verse that the Lord showed me during this season of my life. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. The part I want you to focus on, because that's a heavy passage is that I never knew you. God, right now, 
to each and every one of us is saying, I want to know you. Some of you, you've heard, you've spent, you've gone to so many different young adults meetings, you've gone to conferences, you've gone to church, you've sang the worship songs, you've done all these things, but I don't know you because you won't let me in. You won't surrender what you think about yourself. You won't even surrender what others think about you to me. And that is stopping me from knowing you. This, this, this word to know is, shows itself multiple times in the Bible, and it's, but it's always shown in a frame of intimacy. It's always shown from that, from that basis. Sometimes it's used when it's talking about a husband and a wife. And then he knew her, and then a baby showed up. So put two and two together. So don't get it twisted. That's not what God is trying to do with y'all right now. But what it is saying is God wants to know you so intimately that the dreams he's put inside of you, you can give birth, birth to. He's trying to, he, he wants to be so connected with you that your movements, your decisions are so rooted in him that your confidence can't be shaken by circumstance. I said this earlier, don't let your circumstance dictate truth. It may not always look like God is working. Like I know for many, many of us, maybe even myself sometimes, there was moments during COVID where I was like, God, I don't know what you're doing. They said three weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs> it's been three months. What are you doing? We're not going down that road, so relax. You're good. But I had a really hard time because these are one of the things I love to do. I'm like, God, when am I going to get to share the word with people again? Like this. And God was like, have you surrendered your gift? I said, yes, Lord, I've surrendered your gift. He's like, then don't you think I want to find the other way? You think, you think that this little situation will stop me? You think that that little panorama pandemic is going to stop me from getting my word forth? One of my favorite shows right now, and this may sound cliche, but is The Chosen. Now, again, I had a moment where that young pastor's kid didn't want to watch it. I'm like, oh, Christian movies, left behind, here we go. I don't know if you've seen it, it's a ride. Anyways, chosen, one of the first scenes that I remember, like I'm, I'm one of those guys now that I used to be, think I was so tough and whatever, but I'm like the first one to start crying, but like cool crying though, for sure, like it's cool crying. But there's a scene where Jesus is looking at Peter, and Peter's just seen this crazy miracle that God did. And, he, and Peter's head is down. He's like, how could I repay you? How could I, like, I, I don't deserve this. Who am I? And he says, lift your head, fisherman. And I just was like, what do you mean? Like, because that is, that is who Jesus is calling. He's calling you to be fishers of, of men. He's calling you to an identity rooted in him to go find others that are just floating out in the ocean. Just trying to make it work, trying to figure it out. But that's not, what he, that's not what he desires for you. Next slide, please. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Man, lower mainlanders, y'all know all about the floods. That was crazy. The amount of calls and stuff I was getting from my family that were just like, you should have lived in a flat place, this doesn't happen. 
but you saw the floods, you saw the devastation. It's no mistake that this is the metaphor used for a foundation built on anything other than Jesus. During that whole period of time, you were watching how people didn't even know each other had to come together to make something happen, to help each other. And it was like, it was this question of what's your default in the moment? When you're put through the presser, when pressure comes and the challenge comes, what was your default? Some people didn't know what to do. Some people who even thought that their, their businesses, their houses were, were, were built on solid foundations, they realized very quickly that this river just, whew, I watched a video of this family's farmhouse. They'd been there for, it was like 60 years or something crazy like that. It would pass through like three, maybe even longer, sorry. But I remember watching the river just gone. And it had been there for so long. And over the course of a weekend, everything they thought they knew was gone. I implore you, if your foundation is built on anything other than Jesus, that is how quick you can lose your mind. That is how quickly all those things can be gone. I saw so quickly how, how in the span of three years, everything we put our hope and faith in, whether it was entertainment, whether it was education, whether it was finances, all those sorts of things, because of a little, a little, little virus or whether you believe it exists or not, it doesn't really matter, but this whole situation got torn down in moments. Gas prices are soaring through the roof right now. And people are like, buy a Tesla. Tesla just recalled 160,000 cars. It's just this reality for me where I'm like, man, everything that is on this earth in one way or another is going to let me down. The only thing I have, the only firm foundation I have is Jesus. That's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. I love my wife. She is my best friend. I love my kids. They're ridiculously crazy sometimes, but I love them. But they are not the source of my joy. They can't be. I can't be in a marriage where I come home grumpy and frustrated and expect my wife to be the one who makes me happy. That is an unrealistic pressure for her. That is an unhealthy relationship because she's not the source of my joy. It comes from God. It comes from Jesus. And, and maturity, as I've grown and learned about my identity more and more, as I realize when I'm in those moments, that I actually have the authority and the ability to shift the atmosphere that I'm in when I step into the reality that Christ is my firm foundation. He's the only one I'm going to build my life on. You can go to the next slide. This is one of my favorite songs, and I just want you to look at the lyrics. It's Build My Life by House Fires. Man, like this, I don't know if your worship team has ever done this. Shout out to the worship team. Y'all were killing it. It was fantastic. But says, and I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Those aren't just words, that's the truth. That is the truth, and it's confirmed by the word that, we show, that I showed you already. So maybe some of you in here, I don't know where you're at in your faith. Maybe some of you, you're trying to like, man, I'm just trying to figure this God thing out. Again, some of you might not even be there at all, and this, you're just, again, you're here because you love your friend. I want to tell you something, regardless of where you're at in your walk, will you allow the Lord to show you the truth of what your foundation is? For some of you, it might just be a confirming, like, hey, son, daughter, you're doing the right thing. You're rooted in me. For some of you, it's, you're almost there. You're almost there, but we got to get some things out of the way. 
regardless of your scale, will you allow Lord, the Lord in this moment to just, to just speak to that, to speak to that foundation? For some of you, it might just be a reconfirming of all the things that you know of who Christ is, who Jesus is. And, and I want you just to, and you can just rejoice in that. We've, we've heard this term over the last couple years where people, you know, it's become a really popular phrase talking about deconstruction. And, I, and I'm not, we don't have a long enough evening to deal with that. But I will tell you one thing. When Jesus arrived on earth, he deconstructed everything we thought about a relationship with God and the church, and he rebuilt it in himself. When he tore down the temple, that was a deconstruction of the faith of the people of that day, and he rebuilt it in three days in himself. So don't be afraid of that phrase, but recognize that if you're going through that process, don't reconstruct into yourself. Don't reconstruct into even to what you think you know. Find men or women of God, someone who's willing to challenge your thoughts and challenge your thought processes to help you work through those things so you can have a greater understanding of the Word of God and who Jesus is. It's not just about your personal ideals. So we can go to the, the last slide. We're going to wrap up very, very quickly here. So what does all this have to do with obscurity? Well, think about the stories that I told you. Some of us have discounted our stories. You've thought about where you came from. You've got this Gideon complex where you're like, I'm from the smallest town in the smallest area in the smallest province. Uh, I'm the youngest sibling. You know, you got that younger sibling energy. I got it, trust me. But you just think of yourself as lesser than all the time. I want to challenge your story. And I'll show, show you someone else's story. You can go to the next slide. The life of David. We're not going to study David tonight. But for those of you who know the story of David, this dude was jacked up from the floor up. Like, every, this, this man's life was just an absolute roller coaster. Anointed to be king instead of his brothers. That would have been a weird family dynamic, I can imagine. Slays Goliath but rejects Saul's armor. So the person that, he, that was in charge of him said, hey, this is probably the best thing for you to go into battle for. And David, in his young audacity, was like, that ain't going to fit me. Uh, I wear size 11 and a half. I can't go into battle with that. Saul becomes jealous of David. So now this guy, after he saves him from Goliath, now he's like, oh, I got to kill him. I should kill him. Yeah, I'm going to kill him because people like him. Yeah, I'm going to get him out. I'm going to get him out of here. 30 years later, 30 years old, is made king of Judah. Now, I turn, I don't even know if I should tell y'all. I turn 32 at the end of this month. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. It's a skin routine. Okay. But 30 years old, I turn 32 at the end of this month. I could not imagine being the king of, of anything. <laughs> like the prime minister of Canada? No. Bunch of truckers show up at my doorstop. I'm like, y'all can have it. You can have it. You have it. Snacks are in the back. Gatorade whatever you guys need. No chance. I don't want that. 37, 38 becomes king of Israel and conquers Jerusalem. This dude is killing it. Then God's like, let's make a covenant. We're going to talk about your legacy and all the things your family line is going to do. David's like, sick. I'm going to go have an affair and kill the dude's wife, kill, <laughs> kill the girl's husband. No! Just a wild situation. Then, the, then, then if Solomon's born and then you carry on with the story, you should read it. It's pretty dynamic and crazy. But here's the thing. I can guarantee most of your lives aren't that jacked up. Maybe. 
And if so, don't tell me because I don't need that information and it's incriminating, okay? <laughs> but you look at this and you still see that, that God called this man a man after my own heart. God said, I still love you, David. This guy wrote all the love songs in the Bible. This guy. That whole, the, the Psalms, all of that written by this psycho. <laughs> so some of y'all may think that you a little jacked up. You may be thinking like, man, I, I got anxiety, I got depression, I got whatever. That doesn't mean God doesn't want to use you. He doesn't mean that he doesn't want to use you. But, I, but what he's asking is, will you give me the anxiety? Will you give me the depression? Will you rest it on me because I defeated it on the cross? I truly believe that you will be free from it. You can be delivered from it entirely. But even while you still wrestle with it, I'm still with you. You are not the only person in this room with anxiety. You're not the only person with, with, with depression that walks out, walks out these doors. But the difference is, you still got the belief that God is going to give you the power, the authority to walk into each day with healed in your mind. Transformed mind that says, I may have anxiety, but God's going to flip it for his glory. I may have depression, but the word actually says he gives me be beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. Someone who can stand and, and confess the word every single day, that's a dangerous person. That's a very dangerous person. So I, I leave all this to say, all of this to say, it's time to do a little bit of a heart check, I think. It's time for us to really look at ourselves. Man, you guys are so fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves you so deeply and dearly. Like, he he, he's not even asking you to lose the swag. See some fellas in here, I'm like, y'all fitted, y'all killing it. Ladies, you shining and glimmering with splendor. You're doing it. But don't get lost in the sauce. What do I mean by that? You ever been served dry chicken? You ever been served dry chicken? They try and put some sauce on it? It's still dry. Don't let the sauce confuse you from the reality that the chicken wasn't done well. So don't let the outside appearance, don't let the appearance of, of something trick you into thinking that it's all good. Look at the root. What is your root? What is your foundation? Last slide, just so we can really drive it home. <laughs> Pineapple doesn't go on pizza. It doesn't go on pizza. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys so much for, for listening. I pray. <laughs> I pray. I pray, I pray you were challenged and you were encouraged. I would love to, to chat with, with some of you after as, as many as I can. I'd love to just to hear your story, hear where you're at. I don't got all the answers by any means, but I do know that pineapple doesn't go on pizza, so that's a good start. I can be trusted. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, on behalf of everyone at Apologetics Canada, on behalf, of my, on behalf of my family, thank you so much for honoring us with allowing us to come. Worship team, I would have, you guys can come back on. Um, and I'd just like to, to close in prayer. And this, this is a prayer for, for anyone in here who's wanting to, to take a new look at their identity. We're just asking God, like, God, reveal yourself in a, in a brand new way. Someone who's, who maybe has lost that wonder. I, I, I'm praying for you in this moment right away that, that your wonder would come back. These mysteries of heaven wouldn't actually make, cause you to run, but it would cause you to run, run away, but run to the Father, to run to him. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone um, in here. 
just under the sound of my voice, Lord Jesus, I thank you for bringing them here tonight. We thank you, Lord, that for those that had ears to hear, for those that had eyes to see what you're doing, um, Lord, I just, we just commit this evening to you, Lord. Um, I pray, Father, that, that as we begin to do the hard work of looking at our identity, that you would show yourself true, that we would not allow our situation to dictate truth. God, have your way in our lives. It is what we desire in our heart, Lord Jesus. Take us back to Eden in our hearts, Lord Jesus, when we were in full relationship with you, when we walked with you in the cool of the day. Lord, we, we speak to those that may be wrestling right now, Lord. Maybe their identity at a young age was, was, was hurt, Lord God. Maybe someone was sexually abused, Lord Jesus. Someone who, who believes that, someone whose innocence was, was stolen from them as a child, Lord God. Someone who was abused, Lord Jesus. And now their identity is, has, has been wrestling and challenging and, and, and thinking that they deserve that. Lord God, I pray right now that they would have ears to hear, Lord, that that, that is not all you have for them. That, is, that was not part of your plan. You did not sit idle, but you are ready. <laughs> You are ready to take that burden from them. You are ready to take that pain from them, Lord Jesus. Lord, anyone in here who's wrestling with, their, with university because maybe they didn't want to be in the program they're in, but they're just doing it because their family wants it, God, give them the boldness to honor their parents by telling them the truth. Maybe that conversation, Father, is the opportunity for you to just hop in the middle to reestablish the relationship between a mother and daughter, mother and son, father and daughter, father and son, whatever it, whoever it is, Lord God. You are in the business of reestablishing yourself in our lives. So we thank you for it now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.